When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Hey, everybody out there in the Pacific Northwest or with access to an airport or a car rental place that can get you to the Pacific Northwest specifically at the end of January. We'll see you in Seattle, Portland and San Francisco. That's right. Our new live show for 2024, Seattle, Washington, January 24th at the Paramount Theater, then Portland at our home away from home at Revolution Hall on the 25th. And then winding it all up at Sketchfest on the 26th at the Sydney Goldstein Theater. Very nice. If you want tickets, if you want information, if you want tickets, you can go to a couple of places. You can go to our link tree at linktree slash SYSK. And you can go to our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Click on the tour button and it'll take you to all of the beautiful places you can go to buy your tickets. And we'll see you guys in January. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the last edition of the two to the O to the deuce tray. Oh, is this our final of the year? It is. It's the last one of 2023, Chuck. We we recorded... All of the episodes that we're ever going to record in the year uh-huh. 2023. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And hey, you know, since you brought that up, can I say something? Sure. Uh, Spotify, who carries our show, mm-hmm. as do all platforms, uh, they have mm-hmm. this really cool thing they send out called the RAP, W-R-A-P, uh, I guess is in year-end wrap-up kind of thing. And mm-hmm. they send uh, they sent us as a show our own statistical analysis but then they send individual users their own. Yeah. And we just had a lot of great uh, listeners sending us in their rap statistics like, hey, I'm in the the top 1% of stuff you should know listenership. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just really neat to see all that stuff coming in. So thank you. It really is. It's amazing. And everybody's so proud of it. It's so great to see. So no matter what percentage you're in, if you are proud enough to send an email or post it, mm-hmm. kudos to you because we're proud of you right back. I do think, though, Chuck, that we probably should shout out 
the person who wrote in with the, the far and away the the largest number of listening minutes according to Spotify. Yeah, who's that? That is Aravin Cancherla, who is in the top 0.05% of listeners. And based on the 80,000 plus, 86,772 minutes, mm -hmm. I don't see how there could be anybody else in that, you know, in the, the, the remaining, what, 0.05% left. Yeah. I did a little back of the envelope math and that mm -hmm. that's something somewhere between like 25 and 30 hours of stuff you should know a week. Yeah. That just that's a lot. doesn't seem possible. So I have suspicions that this person might have just played it on a loop so they could, you know, and then just went out shopping or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think Ervin strikes me as a pretty, uh, a pretty straightforward person. So yeah. congrats to Ervin. And also, seriously, thank you to everybody who listens totally. to us so much that you get statistics at the end of the year that make you proud. I mean, that's amazing, guys. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, and thanks to Spotify. That's, that's a cool service that they, uh, or I don't know, is that a service? Whatever. It's a cool thing they do. <laughs> it is. It's a service. It's a public service. We were downloaded in 163 countries. Oh, I, I didn't know there were that many countries. Which is, uh, we looked it up. It was actually something like 190. So, like, that's most of the countries. Yeah, I would say that's the vast majority of them. And by the way, everybody, I knew that there were more countries than that. I was joking. Uh, and quickly, I saw that, I don't know if you went through that uh, yet, Josh, but we, our third biggest country of growth was Mexico. Oh, no way. And I'm gaming, I'm gaming, I'm uh, aiming for a show in Mexico City. I'd like to do that. We just don't know if, like, people would come. So, you know, if we can get, like, a thousand people in a room in Mexico City, I think mm -hmm. that might be uh, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Especially if it's a room with seats. Yeah. So we, we should get at least 500 emails saying at least two people will come, and then that means we might go. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway... Should we get on with uh, barbaric practices? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, because um, I find this endlessly fascinating. Livia helped us with this. And basically what we're doing here is reversing what we already kind of like to do smugly, which is look back 50, 100, 200 years and be like, look at how backwards and antiquated those people were back then. Um, like even as recently as the 90s, I remember in the mid-90s, I was I smoked on an airplane on the way to Amsterdam. Yeah. And like it's there nuts. was it was just like the last three rows were smoking, but it's not like it was sectioned off. There wasn't even a curtain. It's just like this is the smoking section, even though the entire plane's being covered in your cigarette smoke. This yeah. was the 90s, man. Yeah. I, the first time I flew to Europe, there was smoking uh, in like that was would have been 96. Yeah. I mean, imagine that today. I mean, you would literally go to federal prison if you tried to light a cigarette on, a, on an airplane today. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's about the fire, but sure. Yeah. A few decades before that, um, there was Jello salad where it was all the rage mm -hmm. and like the weirdest Jello salad. If you've never just kind of taken a stroll down memory lane and, and looked up like pictures of Jello molds from the 50s to the 70s. Yeah. Treat yourself and go do that. But make sure you have not had lunch yet because you're you're going to want to gag when you see a lot of them. That's another fun thing to judge people for, being stupid with Jello. Because I don't know if we said it yet. We're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to look forward and try to figure out what our 
descendants are going to ridicule us or look down at us about? Right. What will we seem primitive or barbaric or ridiculous about? That's right. Uh, But what we have before us are seven, I think, a little more serious things than jello molds. Mm-hmm. And spanking kids is is on up there. Uh, mm-hmm. However, it really depends on who you ask, because uh, about half of Americans still think, uh, and this is a quote, and this is from a survey a couple of years ago from the American Family Survey, uh, quote, it is sometimes necessary to discipline a child with a good, hard spanking. And half of those respondents said almost under their breath, feel so right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, big change from, you know, back in the day, they have another stat from 68 when 94% of parents said, yeah, hit your kids. It's, it's awesome. Quite a drop. That's a big drop. Uh, but things are really changing because a third of the respondents between 18 and 29 um, agree with spanking compared to 50% of the overall survey. So it, it's something that's going out of fashion. For sure. Yeah, it seems to be following a larger trend of um, moving away from social acceptance of violence in any form. And it's being supported by studies that find like, yeah, it's actually good if you don't spank your kids, because not only has there never been a study that shows it improves children's behavior, study after study keeps suggesting it does the opposite. It actually maladjusts children. I mean, I can't imagine what a well-adjusted person I would be if I hadn't been spanked that handful of times when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I, I was. we're always trying to poke around to find, you know, the other opinion on something just to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there are people who don't agree. Uh, I saw this one professor uh, from the Oklahoma State, Robert Larzelli. I can't even re- read my own handwriting now. But he said that the studies that are out there are flawed for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he says, these studies that say that if you spank kids more, there that leads to them actually acting out more. He's saying, no, kids, it's the kids that are acting out more that are, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Yes, I've Those seen that. Those are the that. ones getting spanked more. I've seen that. And I I think I found in a, a Scientific American article, there was at least one group that managed to control for that and basically have shown like, no, it's it's it, it, it actually does have this effect on kids. The the problem that what'd you say, Larizelli? Mm, I think so. If my writing is any indicator, that what Larizelli is saying is that these studies don't you, they don't start following kids right and from like birth to twenty five or thirty oh. <laughs> and then see you know where you spanked, where you not spanked. It's all just like they might they might peek in on a kid who's in the, at the spanking age yeah, yeah. and look at their behavior then. And just, you just can't parse it apart. So there's not really good quality studies. But I saw it put like this. Even if there are no studies that conclusively show spanking is bad for kids or produces maladjusted behavior in kids, there, there are plenty of studies that seem to suggest that. There aren't any studies that seem to suggest otherwise that it's it's actually good. It's actually it's effective to spank your kids. And so the the argument that I've seen is like, why? Why do it then? Yeah, I saw a first of all, I'm a parent. I can't in a million years imagine hitting Ruby for any reason. That's nice. It makes me want to cry just thinking about that. 
Mm-hmm. It's terrible uh, for our family. Um, but I did find a study from 2018 that I found in uh, from NPR. Uh, they didn't do the study, but they were, you know, did a, a thing on it. Oh, I'm uh, sure they were hot and heavy on it. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was th- th- what they claim, and it seems like probably one of the most robust studies, at least that looks at countries that have banned spanking, because mm-hmm. uh, I think something like 62 countries have banned spanking, uh, starting with Sweden in 1979. Did you even know there were that many countries? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they followed four uh, or they, they used 400,000 children yeah. from kids from 88 countries. So that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 58 countries have the bans and 30 don't. I'm not sure which one it is. But uh, what they found when uh, what, what they were tracking was incidences of kids fighting, like, you know, getting in fights at school. Right. And in the countries that have banned spanking, uh, there was a school fighting reduction by 69 percent in boys. Wow. And 42% in girls. Wow. Which is, I mean, that is pretty substantial. Uh, I was curious about the United States because, you know, we both grew up, like my dad was my elementary school principal and they were, he spanked me and other kids. It's ridiculous to think about. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently in 77, the Supreme Court of the United States gave the power to the states. Uh, these days, 90% of schools don't use corporal punishment, but it is still legal in 17 states, uh, there are restrictions in place in a lot of those. Like maybe your parents have to sign a thing that said, sure, hit my kid. <laughs> That's uh, what it says. But 17% of states, you can still do this uh, with Mississippi leading the way <laughs> in the most spankings. Uh, and the other thing I found out that we should point out is that uh, black males are twice as uh, likely to be spanked than oh, anyone and get this, 16.5% of kids that are corporately punished in schools in America today mm-hmm. are disabled. Um, oh, my God. Usually it's an intellectual disability. Wow. Is that so, n- not disturbing? Yeah, of course it's disturbing. That's horrible. That's one of the most horrible statistics you've ever spouted out. And I should say also, just want to verify for the listeners in any of those 62 countries where spanking is banned, you're talking about like public spanking, like in school, in 17 states, in schools, you're allowed to do that, right? Yes, a, okay. a teacher or a principal. Uh, and they say it's, you know, and this is one of the other problems that that professor had is, is that those studies, he says, lump everyone in together, mm-hmm. uh, as in like, the parents who do it as the very last resort after several other attempts at discipline or parents are just like, oh, you screwed up. You know, let's let's hit you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently most, you know, almost all the schools, it is a last resort as in they've tried other things. But, you know, it's just I don't know. I, I try do not something. to judge people, but don't hit your kids. Well, I was going to say it's it's legal in 17 states for schools to spank kids. It's legal in all 50 states for a parent to spank kids. That's there there's not really anything coming down the horizon that makes it seem yeah. like that's ever going to be banned, but it does seem generationally like we're moving away from spanking pretty rapidly. Yeah. My my spankings as a kid were very uh infrequent. Mm-hmm. And very organized, as in it was never done in the heat of anger, like uh, just oh, getting yeah. slapped or something. It was right. like, all right, go to the bathroom and spend 10 minutes, you know, upset Spanking and scared. 
And then I got spanked with a uh, a bolo paddle. You know the little bolo paddle games? I know the bolo tie. No, the bolo paddle where, where you – a little light plywood paddle with a ball on uh-huh. a rubber yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That's, that was the spanking <laughs> device in my Those house. things are made of like balsa wood. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It stung, but, you know. How about all of your spankings as a grown-up? That usually involves leather. Okay. <laughs> you uh, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's let's move on to chemotherapy. Okay, so chemotherapy is one of these things where um, if you start kind of putting it down today, what you're talking about is our current modern medical miracle that since the 90s has, has reduced the cancer death rate by 25%. Yeah. It's a really big deal that we have chemotherapy now. It's saved a lot of lives. Yeah, this is not poo-pooing chemotherapy. No, it's not. Um, the reason why we can probably guess that our descendants down the line um, are going to look at chemotherapy as fairly primitive and barbaric is because it's so indiscriminate yeah. in how it harms the body. It harms the whole body in order to kill the cancer cells, right? Um, and we're moving, it seems like, much more toward far, far more specific and tailored medicine. And so um, all of the side effects and the horribleness that come with chemotherapy, even though it does save lives, um, will will be going away in future decades, it looks like. Yeah, and it seems like, and we're going to talk about a few ways that things are becoming uh, more specific, but that, that seems to be the way it's all trying to go is instead mm-hmm. of just like killing all the cells – Let's see if they can just specifically target cancer cells and then eventually, you know, get down to, you know, the, the human specific targeting of things, which is would be amazing, obviously. Yeah. Or, you know, patient specific. Right. Uh, but one of the first ones is uh, antibody drug conjugates. And this is a type of chemotherapy, but it combines chemotherapy like the drugs used in chemotherapy with monoclonal antibodies, which are you know, lab, just like antibodies that we have in our body, except they're created in a lab. Right. And so what happens is um, we inject these drugs, these um, antibody drug conjugates into a patient with cancer. And those antibodies are designed to go seek out that tumor, the specific kind of tumor that that patient has. Yeah. um, And attached to that tumor, that cancer cell, and it's, it delivers that payload of chemo drugs to it. it. says, here you go, here's a nice little present, and then turns around and runs, and then poof, in the background, the, the cell explodes, and the antibody, like, ends up on its chest but lives to fight another day. Yeah, exactly. That's a, If we're headed in that direction, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, vaccines is another one. Um, the mRNA vaccines that we detailed back when those came out for covid Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the most successful versions of those vaccines were originally brought about to begin with as tumor vaccines. And the idea is to use sort of that same technology to just specifically uh, target tumors themselves. Uh, so it's not like a vaccine to prevent a disease. It's a, a, a shot that will essentially specifically shrink a tumor. Yeah, just like the mRNA vaccines for COVID train the body to look for and respond to COVID viruses, saying like, hey, if you see anything with this little horn on it, the spike, go mm-hmm. after it. They're doing the same thing with tumors, right? So that's boosting the immune response. It's also training the immune response. So technically, it does qualify as a vaccine. And because, like we talked about in the COVID vaccine episode, this mRNA technology is just so 
you can just it, it's just like ready to wear vaccines basically yeah um very apparently promising. yeah apparently they 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 have reached a, a turning point that, and in the next 5 years a lot of cancer researchers are saying we're we're going to see a lot more cancer vaccines coming down the pike uh, amazing uh, and then what i talked about earlier like making uh, like targeting cancer cells specifically is like a great direction to go but really getting into personalized cancer care will be the next step beyond that. Uh, like, hey, I'm going to identify uh, exactly what kind of tumor that you have in your body and not just maybe this kind of tumor. And, you know, treat like get to patient specific levels of treatment. And, you know, I know we poo pooed AI in certain respects, uh, but this is a place where AI can really probably do a lot of good. Yeah, I think we should just clarify our position on it, if I can speak for both of us. Sure. As long as AI is not taking over the world or damaging humanity in some terrible way, I'm all for all the great ways it can help things. And this is a really sterling example of that. Yeah, it gave us a new Beatles song. Yeah, I would say that's, that's right in the, in the middle for me. Um, but the, I think what you were talking <laughs> about was taking a sample of the specific tumor that a specific person has, analyzing its genetic makeup, and then looking at that genetic makeup, thanks to AI spitting out all of the information that we need from analyzing that huge genome, um, saying, oh, this is an Achilles heel, this is another weakness, this is another way we can attack it, and then tailoring the treatment for that specific tumor. Like that tumor, like you said, not that kind of tumor, that tumor is getting attacked. It's so specific, you could name the tumor. Name the tumor Melvin. Melvin is toast <laughs> when you're using precision or personal um, cancer treatments. Yeah, and you know, this kind of stuff could even be possible now. It's just really, really expensive to target a specific tumor for a specific human. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is hopefully with the help of AI, they can just reduce a lot of the you know, the cost basically for doing that. So it becomes instead of something that's not even, you know, uh, not even something worth pursuing or, or able to be pursued because mm -hmm. of finances, mm -hmm. something that's like, oh, yeah, just uh, step right up and we'll and we'll spit out your treatment. Yeah. And as more more as the costs come down, more people use it, which means more people using it uh, allows for greater a greater chance of new breakthroughs. So, yeah. Hopefully, we're going to have cancer licked in this uh, in the future. I saw somebody um, suggest that it'll end up being kind of like a, a chronic disease akin to diabetes in the future. Just something you can live fairly healthily with. Yeah, you can manage, and there'll be plenty of drugs to keep you going. Amazing. You want to take a break? Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's do that. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. 
Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids, because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right. Uh, next up on the list of things that people may one day look back and say, why did you do it that way? <laughs> Dummies of the 21st century mm-hmm. uh, is organ transplants. Uh, we have we have a pretty great uh, episode on organ transplants somewhere in our back catalog. It feels like a long time ago. It was a little while. Uh, but what we're basically talking about, and again, organ transplants, awesome. It's amazing how far they've come uh, in the past, you know, since they've been doing them. But uh, rejection rates are still an issue, up to 10 to 15 percent uh, for get, uh, for kidneys, for instance. And then also the fact that, you know, transporting organs, getting them to the people uh, in time can still be an issue. Uh, 17 Americans die every day waiting on organs. Mm-hmm. And it's also inequitable in that, you know, generally people that have the, are the most funded uh, get the most organs for transplant. Uh, but there's a better way forward, right? Yeah, I just want to say one. I found a, a stat that I found rather shocking. One in five donated kidneys goes unused. It goes wow. to waste, Jeez. even though people die waiting for kidneys. That's just how kludgy the, the whole setup is right now. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're trying to fix the, the process and the system and the organization in charge of that in the United States. But, uh, in, like, further down the, the pike, uh, on a longer timeline, the goal is organogenesis, which is what it sounds like. It's creating new, um, entirely new organs from cells, from scratch. It's like, watch this grow. You remember those little dinosaur sponges that you added water to and— they just grew, grew, grew. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but with fully functioning uh, organs. Yeah. How far are we away from someone trying to grow a human out in a lab? 
I'm sure somebody's probably trying it already, but I don't know how, how long it'll be till they're successful. I mean, we had Dolly the sheep. That was, Dolly was a clone, right? Yes. And I don't know if everybody's read our book, and if you haven't, I'll just go ahead and share with you a, um, a, a little passage. fact from it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, a passage, a dramatic <laughs> reading. Apparently, Dolly was named Dolly because she was grown from a mammary cell. So it was a oh, 90s haha right. joke about Dolly Parton. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might have said that in the Dolly Parton episode, didn't we? Or did we? Oh, if we did. I'll have to go back and listen. If so, we'll edit this part out. No, no, no. It bears repeating, I think. Okay. So, yes, we're, we're a little ways off because not only, Chuck, are we not capable of growing human from cells, we're not capable of growing uh, kidneys or hearts. But mm-hmm. we are somewhere. We've grown and successfully transplanted um, uh, windpipes bladders, Mm -hmm. fairly like simple organs and structures. But I mean, simple is like a relative term because we're talking about something that was grown from that person's own cells into the very like piece of equipment that they needed and then put in them and it worked. Yeah, which is remarkable. Uh, I know that they can do this with, uh, at least right now, the epidermis. Mm -hmm. So if you're a burn victim, you can get your own stem cells uh, and you can get some new epidermis. I was about to say just skin, but they're working on growing like the entire thickness of the skin. They're not right. there yet. Yeah. But they, they can now grow epidermis from your own stem cells in a lab and uh, they transfer it to something called fibrin, which is a, a protein that really kind of helps your blood clot when you get a, a cut or something. Mm-hmm. And then they put it on your body. And it just, it goes, and then you're done. Yeah, that's it makes that sound. It takes, a, you know, obviously it's a process. I was just kidding around. But uh, right now they can't, like, grow skin that grows hair or sebaceous glands and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. if you're a burn victim and you can get, you know, uh, your own epidermis to replace, you know, your scarred skin right. on your body, then yeah. that's pretty amazing. It's kind of akin to laying sod. But with skin, you yeah, know? Sure. So um, right now, I think the the state of the art with organogenesis, that extra O trips me up. And I like to add syllables. So that's a real tricky one. Is um, growing organs in other animals. And as we'll see, hopefully, we're going to be moving away from that because to take that organ from that animal and transplant it into a human, you kill that animal in the process, yeah. right? Like you don't, you, you can't take a pig's heart and be like, good luck with the rest of your life because it doesn't have a rest of its life. It's right. missing its heart. And from a lot of the trends that I've seen, <clears throat> it seems like a fairly safe bet that we're moving in a direction where um, animal welfare is going to become more and more and more important to where how we treat animals will be maybe the most critical thing that people will of the future will look back at us on, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Which that's coming up in a more robust way in a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to finish this up, there's also uh, 3d bioprinting, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I remember telling the story uh, one time I've known two people in my life who were born without an external ear Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the process back then was they formed a, a sort of a skeleton of the shape of an ear, and if I'm not I'm not sure what it was made of. Uh, I think cartilage, 
But if I'm not mistaken, that then was uh, there was like a, a skin bubble mm-hmm. around it, and then they would suck the air out of that skin bubble very quickly to uh, onto that cartilage to form, you know, wow. what looked close enough to an external ear. Uh, and I say external, like you know the the ear parts. Or yeah, whatever. I know what you're talking about. Um, and I've known two people in my life that had that done, and they. You know, back in the day, it was not like it is now. I think the 3D bioprinting of of ears is much, much further along, and they look much better than they used to, and that's kind yeah. of the point. Right. But they're thinking that, you know, maybe one day we can 3D bioprint a liver. Yeah, pretty amazing. And that'll kind of come up in uh, well in the next section, too. So I say we move on to the next section because it does kind of tie into what we were talking about just now. That's right. Let's do it. So um, getting meat from animals is probably something that will really be looked down upon in the future because we already have techniques that um, will that that make it so we don't really need live animals to create meat, to eat meat. Um, and yet we're still eating meat. And it, it, that's despite, and I'm very much guilty of this too, that's despite knowing how horrific and terrible factory farming is for the animals themselves, for the environment. People just really love meat and it's tough to give up. So rather than forcing people to give up, there's other alternatives that people are working on to replace it. We're going to need to do that too, because apparently, Chuck, um, the growing demand for meat is going to be totally unsustainable in the next couple decades. Yeah. I mean, there are statistics like the UN will throw out that say, uh, we're going to, by the year 2050, the meat demand means we're going to have to produce 50 to 100% more meat mm-hmm. than we do now. Uh, but there's also other people saying like, hey, this whole notion of, you know, uh, wealthier countries eat meat because they can afford it. And countries that are more developing eat agriculturally largely or vegetarian because they're forced to mm-hmm. isn't really the case, any, or at least moving forward, it looks like, because what they found is the emerging trend is that people are eating less meat once they get enough wealth to afford it for a bunch of reasons. And one of which is what you're talking about is there's just a, a forever changing uh, way that humans look at animals and animal welfare for one. And also, you know, red meat and the fact that it's terrible for your body is another one. And terrible for the environment. Um, livestock raising that includes transportation, tractor emissions, but also methane from the cows shooting ducks all the time. Mm-hmm. That accounts for 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So it has like this triple, triple impact, triple negative impact on the animal's welfare, the human body, and the health of the earth. Um, and for those reasons, it does seem like people in wealthier countries are starting to move away from meat. And so I think the um, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, they released an agricultural outlook within the last couple of years, and they predicted that around 2075, the whole world will start moving away from meat and that um, eventually we're just going to stop eating what's called carcass meat, very appropriately, altogether. Yeah. Can I tell you something really quick about an Instagram video I saw today? Yeah. It has to do with the uh, cows and the methane. Uh, actually, our, our colleague, our old friend Tamika at work posted this. Yeah. And it was a video of a guy that was um, showed how they treat bloat in cows. Have you seen this? No. When a cow gets bloated with gas, they stick a needle uh, into the cow's stomach, releasing methane, and they light that thing 
so they can see a flame to judge like how much gas is still in there. Oh wow! So there was a video of a cow with a with a blowtorch coming out of its side, essentially. Wow! What was the cow's expression like? Well, all I saw was the cow, but the 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 guy who was hosting the video, his expression was uh, horrified because he was like, you know, can you believe that this is where we are in the world? Yeah, I totally can believe that. That doesn't surprise me at all, to tell you the truth. And they're trying to help the cow, but it's, you know, the cow's, the reason the cow's there is because of factory farming. Right. Uh, Tamika, uh, by the way, has one of the better um, non-celebrity Instagram feeds you can find. Yeah, Tamika, this is great. It's good stuff. But what you were saying about moving away from, uh, what'd you call it, carcass meat? Yeah. There, there are two main ways that that's happening right now, and that is obviously... Uh, what they call novel vegan meat replacements, uh, you know, fake meat, impossible stuff, beyond stuff. Uh, and then lab-grown meat, which, I, did we do a whole episode on lab-grown meat? Yeah, we did, a while yeah, back. I thought so. We should update it like we did the recycling episode. You know, like so much stuff has changed since totally. then, I'm sure. We'll, we'll update it eventually. But lab-grown meat or cultured meat is exactly what it sounds like. You use a bioreactor, sometimes a 3D, like, bioprinter using animal cells to recreate meat. Um, and they, I think the, there's a consulting group called A.T. Kearney. And they predict that by 2040, which is not that long off, everybody, no, up no. to 60% of global meat consumption will be from cultured or non-vegan meat replacements. Yeah. Like, that's significant. That's a huge change. Like, there may be countries that are developing now that won't even eat carcass meat when they become wealthy because the replacements will have become so great, there'll be no reason to eat meat. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you ask the CEOs of Beyond and Impossible, they're going to say in 15 years, there will be no more eating of meat. Yeah. Uh, that's a little ambitious. And I think that, <laughs> sure. you know, maybe they're trying to drive up the stock price. Uh-huh. Uh So that's probably not going to be the case. But that that A.T. Kearney group uh, prediction, like, that's that seems quite possible. I buy that, especially if there's a couple of challenges that are um, overcome by then, which is, you know, that's 17, sorry, 16 years now away. Um, and that's plenty of time to overcome some relative speed bumps. One is flavor. replicating. <laughs> no, I think they have flavor kind of licked, at least as good. far as cultured meat goes. Yeah, texture. Texture's the problem because yeah. you don't want to eat like a little... A little scoby of beef that tastes just like beef but looks like a scoby from a kombucha batch. Yeah. No one wants to eat that. <laughs> and yet, Japanese researchers recently showed, um, I think in, according to uh, Freethink, this great website I found, uh, in 2021, they recreated a Wagyu steak, which has got some of the most complex marbling of fat mixed mm -hmm. in with the meat. Uh, that you could possibly ever come across, and they faithfully recreated one. I'm sure it cost them a, a million and a half dollars to make that one steak, but yeah. it was a proof of concept that it can be done. The other big challenge is right now when you're making that Wagyu steak from cellular culture, you actually need to take it from an unborn calf as you slaughter the mom. I don't think the mom has to be slaughtered, I think it's they just, just yeah. take it while they're slaughtering the mom. Yeah. And that's what they use to grow meat right now. And a lot of people are like, no, nope, still I'm not okay with that. It's still the, an animal suffers somehow, some way. Um, and so 
there's a company called Meetable, a Dutch company that said, we got this. We got our way around this. Yeah. They made a sausage in July 2022 mm -hmm. that was lab-grown sausage, lab-grown pork. Uh, but it was not, it did not use, uh, I don't think we said what it's called, fetal bovine serum mm -hmm. is that blood drawn from the cow's fetus. Uh, and that's what you said is typically used. But they didn't use that at all. Uh, it was, uh, you know, there, were, there, were, there was no animal involved. Yeah, they used cells from like a live animal that was unharmed by it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. No, no animal involved is in uh, their death was not involved. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, the animal couldn't have cared less either way from what I understand. They Pretty just great. They were in the process of having, they were being degassed, so they had bigger fish to fry than somebody <laughs> right. scraping a few cells off their hindquarters, you know? It's like I got a blowtorch coming out of my side. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, I say we move on. Oh, but first, Chuck, let's take a break. Because uh, it's, it's that kind of time. Let's do it. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, we're back, Charles. We're talking about <laughs> what people in the future are going to think of us based on the stuff we do today. That may seem primitive, 
And mm-hmm. one of them might not seem, well, it could seem primitive. It'll seem quaint probably, is driving a car yourself. Yeah. Or, or maybe even owning your own car. Because the predictions for the future are that car hailing apps will become so ubiquitous that you're going to need your own car less and less and less. This is a, a prediction from Kara, Kara Swisher, Swisher, the New York Times tech columnist. Sorry, yeah. Kara. Um, that in not too many years, uh, owning your own car is going to become obsolete. And then eventually the next step, this is me adding to that prediction, uh, mm. those cars that pick you up when you use a ride-hailing app will not have a driver in them. You will just yeah. get in the back and go. Yeah, I mean, self-driving cars has been in the news a lot over the past, uh, you know, decade or so. Uh, I remember being in San Francisco a couple of years ago and seeing a car with a crazy contraption on top. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what in the world is that? And is that a is that a Google Maps or a Google Earth like thing taking pictures? That car's wearing braces. And then I looked inside. It's like, no, 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 there's no human in that car. Uh, and it kind of startled me, but did you shout um, witchcraft? Right, <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I threw a Molotov cocktail at it. I took care of that problem. Nice. Um, but there was a company. Uh, I think there were. You know, there's more than one company that's trying this stuff out. Uh, but there's a company called Cruise, uh, which just recently, in October of this year, of, well, I guess last year now, of 2023, uh, the California uh, state government said. You can't do this. You can't practice this uh, anymore. No more driverless practicing out of you uh, because, well, for a lot of reasons, building <laughs> up to the, what we'll just call the incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but minor incidents involve things like blocking ambulances, stopping in the middle of an intersection, uh, rearranging a bus, running red lights, stuff like that. Uh, but the big incident was when a pedestrian finally was bound to happen was hit in downtown San Francisco uh, when she was hit by another car driven by a real human, mm-hmm. knocked into the other lane, and then the cruise car apparently braked, uh, but then rolled over her anyway, uh, pulled her forward, and then stopped on top of her. Just stopped. It was like, okay, I'm fine. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to freeze right here yeah. on top of this pedestrian. So, yeah, cruise is far and away the only company from having – problems with their mm-hmm. their tech that they're working on. They're just the most recent poster child of the problems with self-driving cars. Yeah, she didn't die, by the way. No, thank you for saying that. Yeah. The the point of this is, though, is that despite these setbacks, we're ex- we exist in the time of setbacks. In a mm-hmm. couple of decades, we'll exist in the time where those, we're beyond those setbacks and we have driverless cars. These setbacks don't mean that it, we're never going to have driverless cars. In fact, even people who who are super skeptical of them right now still admit we're probably going to have them at some point in the future. Yeah. It's just a question of when, and it seems like we're we're a little further behind than we may have thought a few years ago. Yeah, and you know, one thing that if, if it's not, I think the road there may uh, not be as abrupt because we already see in newer cars a lot of like things like um, lane assistance. Mm-hmm. Like your car will correct itself and steer itself back if it sees that it's it's driving off the road. Right. Like if you're drowsy or you're on your phone, which you should never be. Um, so you see like lane assistance and stuff like that. Um, you know, if your speed like really, really changes a lot, a lot of times cars these days will send you an alert. that says like, you know, are you okay? Maybe you should pull over. Um, stuff like that. So that's sort of like these are the intermediary steps 
that will lead to full automation. Uh, and they've already come a long way, but apparently, uh, again, with the help of AI, they could go a lot further. Yeah, eventually the car's just going to start talking to itself and you'll feel so left out, you just don't even get in the driver's seat anymore. <laughs> but the whole point of removing humans from cars is to remove humans from the equation of driving. Not for our convenience necessarily, but for our safety, because we're our own worst enemies when it comes to driving. You found a stat that uh, recently, it was it like 2020, 2021, do you know? Uh, it's 2021, but just over the last few years in general, it's been about 30 to 33%. Of fatalities involve at least one of the drivers being drunk. Yeah. I couldn't find any statistics that also include drugs, but just being drunk alone, 30% of people who die in the United States die because the, yeah. one of the people involved in that crash was drunk. That is yeah. unacceptable. But it's humans. People do that. It's a terrible decision. People think that that's not going to happen to them, and it does. And it accounts for thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths every year. Yeah. Driverless cars don't drink. They have other problems right now, but as we work them out, those problems will become a part of the past. And drunk driving accidents will become a part of the past as well, which will be great for everybody. Yeah. I mean, 94% of uh, any accident in the United States involves some kind of human error. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, what I'm curious about is what what the acceptable percentage of driverless car error, because it seems like it, it seems like human car error is just endlessly forgivable to the point where, you know, like every car these days, you shouldn't be able to start unless you can blow into a breathalyzer. Like that technology is there. Yeah, we're harder on computers than we are on ourselves is what you're saying, huh? Well, exactly. So like what if all of a sudden driverless cars, they prove like, you know, they can reduce com total accidents by 90%. There would still be people saying like in those 10% of cases where someone died. Right. It was some AI computer or whatever. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, I just find it really interesting that we still allow people to get into a car after they've been drinking and drive, even though the technology exists, exists to to stop that from happening. Well, yeah, I think that it's a cognitive bias of ours. We tend to focus on the more sensational, and the more sensational is a car being driven by a computer killing somebody than a, a drunk dude killing somebody in his car. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's just removing people from the equation should increase safety. It should also probably increase um, or decrease pollution as a result. There's somebody who came up with the eye-popping statistic that 30% of the traffic in metropolitan areas is people circling the block looking for a place to park. <laughs> if you don't own a car and you're not driving your own car, that goes away. So 30% of traffic goes away instantaneously with that. Yeah. I mean, that you had me right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So driverless cars, almost certainly coming down the pike as long as AI doesn't take over the world, of course. I think we should caveat this entire episode with that. All of this is yeah, going to happen right. <laughs> if AI doesn't take over the world, okay? That's right. Uh, and we're going to finish up with a couple of shorter ones um, that I think are just pretty awesome and interesting. Uh, one is the fact that uh, sort of the current thinking is that we, we tend to tie um, like progress as a nation it, definitely in the United States, but in most places around the world, mm -hmm. to how like robust uh, an economy is. It's, it's like always tied to finances on what kind of progress we're making. And there are people that think 
like uh, sort of like with the way we're starting to look at animals, like, you know, one day that's not going to be the most important factor for humans and things like the health of the earth and human beings, health and well-being, both physically and mentally Mm -hmm. is the uh, you should equate that with the success of a nation. And one day they're going to look back and say, you remember when we all that we cared about was the fact that uh, the stock market was flush. Yeah, because we GDP just tells you whether an economy is growing or shrinking, right? That's basically all it tells you. And it leaves out a lot of stuff, like you said, human well-being, um, things like it, it, whether people are dying of deaths of despair or whether they're generally happy, how many resources are being depleted, is anybody working on an alternative to that? Um, all of the stuff that creates that growing economy just is totally ignored. Yeah. And I think that's what that uh, economist Kate Rayworth was saying is like it's it's madness. Like it's so ridiculous to just completely not count all of this stuff that really, really counts in, in, in favor of just this one metric, which is growth or shrinkage. And um, not only is that probably going to be, you know, thought of as ridiculous in the future – Mm-hmm. People, younger people today who are becoming adults or who have recently become adults, they already tend to think this way as yeah. a group. So it's a pretty sure indicator that we're going to leave GDP or growth behind as an, an indicator of the health of an economy and start thinking more about the other stuff, the more important stuff. And who knows what can result from that? Like what what great cascading um, um, knock-on effects that that will have. Yeah, there's, uh, you found this uh, Princeton University bioethicist named Peter Singer who talked about the fact that the circle of concern as, as humankind advances is expanding. Uh, and that's just a, a, a wonderful thought. And, you know, you see it in everything from the fact that, you know, we've laughed before at like the Mad Men episode where people used to just willingly throw litter on the ground <laughs> to, you know, we look back at that as barbaric generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's just one small example. So as as humans are evolving down the line, that circle of concern is expanding and people are caring about more and more things uh, that they didn't care about before. And that's that's great. Yeah. And Peter Singer, by the way, is a very famous um, ethicist uh, as far as animal rights are concerned and animal yeah. welfare. Um, so, yeah, his whole thing is like we're going to stop focusing on conspicuous consumption and rather you'll be more considered like a great person, not from your wealth, but from your charity and your charitable giving, which would be great. And then uh, that circle of concern kind of leads us to our last one too, because the most recent inclusion into the circle of concern is the environment, the earth, the health of, of the, the earth. Um, And that, this one is just a sure gimme. There's no way that we're not going to be looked down upon for this by our descendants, and that is burning fossil fuels. Yeah. I mean, in 500 years, who knows, maybe sooner, it seems like people will definitely look back and say, I can't believe that we used to burn fossil fuels like we did. Uh, and for a lot of reasons, not just um, the, you know, the process of removing fossil fuels and all that goes into that, mm-hmm. uh, or even the, the, the climate and the ozone, which are all huge concerns, obviously. But just things like pollution and air quality uh, and the fact that, you know, that kills people and that costs so much money in healthcare. care. Uh, I think there was a study from the University of Wisconsin in Madison 
that said if, if we stopped burning fossil fuels altogether, uh, it would eliminate about 50,000 premature deaths per year because of air quality alone and about $600 billion annually in the U.S. alone in healthcare costs. Yeah, and I think even more than looking at us as like dum-dums for ignoring that, we're going to be looked at as kind of reviled because of the future will have delivered our descendants because of the climate change we just allowed to happen. Yeah. Um, I saw a WHO estimate that um, 250,000 additional deaths per year are expected to come each year between 2030 and 2050 because of climate change from things like heat stress, malnutrition, um, insect-borne diseases. Mm-hmm. That An additional quarter of a million people are going to die every year because of climate change starting six years from now. That's nuts. So I can only imagine what the people of, you know, 2100 are going to think of us. Hopefully they'll have everything under control by then, but they're probably going to be pretty ticked off that they had to go to the trouble. Yeah. I mean, you can see this coming because it already happens now, once again, by seeing younger generations already looking at previous generations as barbaric yeah. and how we treat the earth. For sure. I, I saw an RHS financial um, estimate or, or prediction that the um, oil market will collapse this decade, that we're just based on trends, current trends now and the way that people think now that uh, probably we won't be using oil nearly as much in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. The future is interesting, Chuck. And it is the future. As a matter of fact, it's almost 2024. And I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody, huh? Uh, that's right. Happy New Year, everyone. We thank you once again for your support. We say it all the time. If there was no you, there would be no us. We are always grateful that we are allowed to do this job because you listen. Yeah. Thank you. And Happy New Year to everyone. Happy birthday to Yumi. Happy birthday. Thanks, Chuck. And uh, we'll see you guys next year. And if you want to get in touch with us in the interim, in this very short time left in 2023, you can do it via email, almost instantaneously. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, put a sash on it that says 2024, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.